When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Are Democrats snatching defeat from the jaws of victory? In this episode, we'll look at the power of story and why President Trump's many opponents may be underestimating his advantages despite his low approval ratings. The second round of Democratic debates is coming up. We share some ideas that aren't getting enough coverage in the mainstream media. Dangers for Democrats. Daniel Axt. Donald Trump is not a unique or local phenomenon. He's part of a global trend toward authoritarian populism. Look at the larger picture of today's Republican Party and to ask yourself, is this a party that can in any way discipline him? What, what action of his could cause that party to turn its back on him? The Democrats have found themselves in reaction to this horrible man, um, moving ever further away from any constraints on immigration of any kind. And I don't think that will play with the voters. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? The agonizing fact for Democrats this summer is that President Trump appears to be gaining ground on domestic and foreign policy while his potential challengers are quarreling and mostly spinning their wheels. That quote from David Ignatius, the columnist in The Washington Post. Yeah, and he's not the only one. I mean, Democrats are having a pretty miserable summer when you look at them telling their own story. From President Trump's racist tweets about four young Democratic Congresswomen to the righteous fury of the opposition, our politics are trapped in a cycle of outrage and anger. We're going to ask, how do we fix it? And even though Trump constantly finds ways to blow up his own good news and say yet another offensive thing, all of the outrage about his comments may in a weird way kind of work for him. Author and columnist Daniel Axt is our guest. He wrote an op-ed in the Los Angeles Times called Trump's Advantage is that he has a story to tell. Welcome to our table. And how do we fix it? Well, thanks so much for having me. Are you asking me how do we fix it? Because that's a big question. (laughs) Hopefully we'll get into that. So let's look at that story in the Los Angeles Times. And the first point you make is a story on the economy, which is doing well, isn't it? Yeah, and just by way of context, I should say that I was motivated to write the piece by the debates uh, among the Democratic candidates. And I was dismayed, as were many others, because it seemed to me that uh, Donald Trump had 
some things going for him. And you can't really say that in polite company sometimes. I'm no fan of Donald Trump. But nonetheless, the economy is perhaps the first and most important. And usually when the economy is doing well, president gets the credit. And if it's doing badly, then often the guy is turfed out. That's exactly right. And I think it's been the case really since Herbert Hoover in the Great Depression. And in this case, Donald Trump inherited a good economy. The economy has remained strong. The headline numbers, such as the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the unemployment rate, are all very favorable. And there's no denying that this will help. And yet the stunning thing is that any normal president would be extremely popular right now, given the state of the economy. And he manages never to have have had an approval rating over 50 percent. He's an extraordinary figure, and that is not a compliment. And it's possible, and perhaps we can all hope, that uh, even uh, the good news with which he is blessed will not rescue his presidency. But but it's trouble for the Democrats. There's a real sense among... um, Should we wait for this gaggle of kids to go by? (laughs) <laughs> I rather like the gaggle of kids. Okay. <laughs> We're recording this in our uptown Upper West Side studio, a.k.a. Richard's apartment. So every so often, a few school children or sirens or barking dogs are, are part of the ambient of the action, background. Yeah. So, but there's a sense among many Democrats that the array of people running for the nomination present an image that's not that appealing to a lot of voters in the middle. In a way, this, is, this, is, this, this replicates, uh, in, to some extent, the experience we saw with Donald Trump in 2016, where you have a very large field of candidates. Many of Democrats, like so many Americans, hover somewhere around the middle. You know, and they want a reason, I think, they want a reasonable candidate, they want reasonable policies, they want a reasonable pace of change. But what they, what they don't necessarily want is, this, is this, this, this bidding war over what can we give away and to whom. The second issue that you discussed after the economy is China. From a policy perspective, the Trump view of China has been very influential, that among most political moderates, among the political establishment, there was a sense that trade with China, open trade with China, was a good way to constrain it and influence it. And then Donald Trump came along and said, forget about it. And now... Even many Democrats agree with him. I think he has, to an extraordinary extent, changed the narrative. But I want to mention something. There's a well-known economist named David Autor at MIT who did a famous, uh, somewhat famous study in which he discovered, contrary to previous belief, that trade with China had simply devastated specific places in the American heartland. It had devastated families. It had devastated local economies. It had wiped out whole industries. And the adjustment wasn't happening. People weren't simply going back to school and learning coding or life coaching or other kinds of of modern careers that could rescue them. So Donald Trump was maybe the first important person in the political class to say, wait a second, this is not going well. This isn't how it should be. And it's funny because it kind of combined elements of right-wing and left-wing views. I mean, being anti-trade was traditionally back in the era of the lunch bucket Democrats. That was a liberal position. That's right. But being somewhat more confrontational in foreign policy might be seen as a more... Republican position, and he managed to kind of synthesize those in a way that, in some ways, even though people think he's doing it wrong, there's a lot of people in the mainstream who, even policy experts, who 
say he's actually on to something. Well, you know, historically, the left and the right have traded the tariff issue back and forth, right? right? Uh, Northern industrialists wanted tariffs for a while, then labor unions wanted tariffs. Now, you're absolutely right. He has pounced on this issue in a way. I think he's grossly mishandled it. We should have stayed in TPP and so forth. TPP but, is the uh, Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership. Yes, the, the trade partnership. The idea that if you're going to have a fight with a China, or for that matter, with a Russia, why not get your allies you your on friends. your side first? You need and, your and, friends. And, and China pact, was not in it. And that pact was actually an alliance, more or less, against China. It's so the first thing they blew up when they came Absolutely in the door. Absolutely asinine. Now, uh, the point of my piece was that these things that we're saying may be considered details by voters or may be overlooked by voters who see just a broad message. Yes, he stood up to China. Yes, he gave us a strong economy. On immigration, which is an explosive issue, Trump has come under tremendous attack on moral grounds and on his racist rhetoric. Many people are likely to agree with him more on strong border than they are with Democrats who want to allow those who've already entered without documents to stay. Uh, yeah, in the debates, Democrats were falling all over themselves to give illegal immigrants free health care and allow them to stay and... Now, the fact of the matter is President Obama deported many more people than Donald Trump. Uh, Americans have never wanted open borders. You know, Trump in this area, as in so many, has grossly mishandled a strong issue for him. However, he has communicated to voters that he may be the only person in the political class, left or right, who is willing to say, wait a minute. I understand that you voters may not like a lot of illegal immigration, and I'm willing to try to stop it. Wasn't there a poll that even Hispanic voters, or, or a majority of them, are actually also opposed to uh, illegal immigration? I don't think anybody—I mean, look, how do we argue for illegal anything, you know? I mean, it's, 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 immigrants are wonderful. We need immigrants. We need legal immigrants. There's a right number of immigrants. I don't know what that is. We can debate that. But— about Trump, people sort of say, okay, well, this must be the thing that kind of breaks the camel's back. And a lot of conservatives are actually saying that about this recent flurry of tweets. But, I can hope. But I, I want to address that for a moment because I think that that goes to the character issue, which I talk about a bit in the piece. And Democrats all along have kind of had this idea, and Hillary Clinton had the idea that what would rescue us is Trump's bad character. Okay? But the voters take the view that, that many Democrats have told them to take, which is all rich and powerful men act in this way. You know, they all abuse women. They're all secretly racist and so forth. Now you could say, well, maybe we should turn to a woman and it's a great plan. But meanwhile, the incumbent can point to the economy, China and globalization and standing up to those and, of course, immigration. So I'm not sure the character issue will rescue them and the Mueller report certainly will not. You mentioned to me when we were speaking about doing this interview yeah. that voters often privately do something different than what they publicly discuss. Yes. Um, for instance, it is possible that people who have really strong misgivings about Trump's personal character and find much of what he said, especially about Hispanics and minorities and women, reprehensible, but they might still vote for him anyway in the privacy of the polling booth. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, preference falsification is a significant issue on certain hot-button polling issues. And, and what is that? Well, every day, it seems to me, more and more types of speech are taboo. There are opinions you hold that you may not even express to your spouse. 
because it will mean trouble. But when you're in that booth, you're kind of unfettered except by conscience. And so it's, it's very possible that people will do things. Brexit was an example, I think, in some ways. It's very possible people will, will vote in ways that aren't consistent with what the polls predicted because they tell pollsters the things they believe nice people are expected to say. That point you made about things becoming taboo so fast yeah. that you, people can hardly keep up. Yes. Is it possible that some frustration around that process as a whole is part of what led people to say, oh, screw it, I'm voting for Trump? Absolutely. Now, again, I, that's not, I'm not unique in that opinion, and I'm not sure I can, I can justify it, but I want to mention something that happened to me. On July 4th, I was visiting a, a village, a small village, and I was taking a walk and passed a beautiful home, and there was a, a Lexus in the driveway, and there was a big flag out front, and the flag was the United Nations flag. And I, I thought to myself, I wonder if this is going to make any votes for Donald Trump. This is the kind of village where you expect to see American flags. Maybe it was a U.N. diplomat who owned this house. But the whole package of the Lexus, the luxurious home, giant blue United Nations flag, to me, did not bode well. On the flip side, there's the, uh, the constant litany of minor scandals that come out of the Trump administration. And as someone who generally does support more conservative politics or Republicans, I look at that and I say, Every one of those maybe peels off a quarter of a percent. <laughs> I feel that he's often peeling away those voters over specific issues. And I hope that you're right. You know, I, I, I don't think I could dislike him any more than I already do, but there must be some voters at the margins whose minds will be changed. I think it's an, an occasion to just look at the larger picture of today's Republican Party and to ask yourself, is this a party that can in any way discipline him? What, what action of his could cause that party to turn its back on him. And those are really, those are troubling questions. What are some examples in the past where a president's own party has disciplined him in that, that way? Well, I guess the great example uh, is Watergate, in which the, the Republican Senate, uh, I think it was Republican, as I recall, finally turned against the president and went to see him and said, that's it. Right. You're going to lose. And he had to resign. Yeah. Those are some pretty obvious crimes that were yeah. going on yes. there. I mean, I, I think a lot of people point. say, you know, we haven't we found a lot of badness uh, and exactly, uh, but not necessarily crimes. Exactly. Of that exactly. And you know, look, I mean, Bill Clinton, who, who is well liked, uh, all of a sudden, some of his actions in the past in the light of the Me Too movement look uh, look pretty awful. Right. So maybe there are voters who say, gosh, you told us all along about the virtues of Democratic men. And now we see a whole parade of them who've been discredited. And now you say that our guy is uniquely evil. Maybe not. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our guest is Dan Axt, a writer and author and really a contrarian. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's probably true. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you think that, that populists and progressives need each other? That both of them, with their idealized view of, of human nature rather than a practical, pragmatic view, are, are, are a big part of this? I, I think that's a great question. I think all too tragically, they do need each other. Donald Trump is not a unique or local phenomenon. He's part of a global trend toward authoritarian populism. And you see whether it's Putin or Duterte or Bolsonaro or Netanyahu or even Xi in China, you see this trend all over the world. On the other hand, all politics is local. But there is a sense in which uh, there is a kind of a coercive dimension to the most extreme elements of the progressive movement in America that, to me, is suggestive of what we see on the right. And so, yes, I think they do need each other. And yet, and I'm the more liberal of the two of us, on the right, I mean, you talked about could there be an example of where Trump might be disciplined by his own party. Fat chance when 90% of Republican voters or Republicans say they're fine with the president. That is a very good and very disturbing point. And I, I, I'm extremely disturbed and disappointed in the modern Republican Party. I mean, it's not functioning as a party in the American system needs to function, which is tragic. Does this have a due date? Does this have an end point? Well, I sure hope so. I mean, I just don't see how this is a recipe for anything good. As I said, even on the issues that, that, that he can point to and that may matter to voters, those three big issues, he's mishandling all of them. I mean, even, even on the area of the economy, we have mountains of debt. You know, how long can this go on? Interest rates are already super low. So, A Republican would come back, a Trump supporter, of which I'm not, but I understand them probably better than, <laughs> than you two guys. A Trump supporter would say, Look at the judges, the stellar judges that are being nominated. These are not crazy populists. These are mainstream libertarian-ish conservatives for the most part. And they're not firebrands. We're not in a war anywhere, despite all the crazy rhetoric. That's Mo right. They would say most of what is, is offending people on the left is talk. And, you know, you have a, a strong point there. I mean, he hasn't invaded anybody. You know, he seems to be non-interventionist in foreign policy, despite the, all of the rattling. He speaks loudly, and, and he has a big stick, but he doesn't use it. Well, there's uh, some debate about the size of the stick, is there not? Yeah, I guess so. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I think that both sides of the spectrum are wedded to catastrophe. Everything that happens is a catastrophe. These justices are a catastrophe. And I think we all have to calm down a little bit. And is that both sides thinking that everything is a catastrophe, a response to Trump and his performance art and his, his governing by tweets. His opponents have allowed him to I, make them hysterical. I mean, That's have, true. They, have they conflated him? I mean, here's a president who you could argue is weak, and yet every response to his outrageous rhetoric is 
look at that guy. Look at what he's doing now. He and, is and, the poster child for what happens when you give someone attention they don't deserve. I mean, when I would go to the gym in 2016 and I'm on the on the bike, it was all Trump all the time on the TV sets on CNN and, and, and not, not just, just Fox, Fox News. Right. Well, it still is. And yeah. it sells, right? It, yeah. it, it makes high ratings and it sells newspapers or whatever by allowing ourselves to be made hysterical. I don't think we do ourselves any favors in the important task of unseating him. A little voice is saying, how do we fix it? Which we usually ask our guests way much earlier in the conversation. Are there any, are there any kind of positive thoughts you can leave us with anything that we can do? I, I think we have to tone down the hysteria. I think we have to choose a democratic candidate who is broadly electable, who speaks to all of the American people and not simply slivers of groups. And if we do those things, I think we'll be rid of him. We're not going to impeach him successfully. It's not going to happen. You know, you just ticked off the topics of about eight of the last 12 episodes of how do we fix it. I mean, it's, if there's anything the show has been devoted to, it's exactly that theme. But let's look at the post-Trump era, whether it comes up sooner or later. Have we permanently damaged our political discourse in this country, permanently driven the two parties into their respective corners? Or do you see some glimmers of places where a countervailing trend is happening? I think history offers good reason for hope. If you go back to around 1940 and 41, the incredible schism in American society over whether we should enter World War II, which was raging in Europe, is difficult to imagine today. And believe it or not, despite my youthful appearance, I remember the 60s and the 70s. And it was absolutely horrible. And the divisions in society were raw, you know, and we survived all of that and moved forward. Similarly, Donald Trump has dissipated goodwill for America and Americans all over the world, foolishly, pointlessly, for no particular gain. Again, once he's gone, I suspect much of that will come roaring back. People depend on us. We remain essential. Daniel Axt, thank you very much for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Thanks so much for having me. It's been a joy. Daniel Axt on How Do We Fix It? And coming up, Jim and me with a conversation where we weigh in even more with our opinions about uh, what we've just spoken about. And don't forget, this is a good time to let people know that we are now on Patreon. Yeah, that's the fundraising site. Uh, You can find us by going to patreon.com and searching for How Do We Fix It? And please contribute. Send us a, a monthly amount. And... Starting in a future episode, we will be thanking our monthly supporters by name on the podcast. And we will also be rolling out in the next weeks and months some of the privileges you get from signing up and supporting us. Well, that was fun, Richard, because, you know, it's been a thing with us. We've tried really hard not just to have the same conversation about Trump that everybody's constantly having. We always want how do we fix it to be off looking at things from a slightly different angle than what you get on, you know, Morning Joe every morning. And also a more positive angle, too. Exactly. You know, over the weekend, I was at the FDR Home and Library in Hyde Park, New York. And what Dan just said really struck me. We haven't been hit by the kind of crisis that many presidents have to deal with. And perhaps the truth of what we face has not been revealed to us because we've been in relatively calm times. We, we haven't had to commit a huge number of, of troops overseas. There hasn't been an economic or financial disaster in the past few years. 
we still remain committed in a number of countries around the world, but, but we haven't instigated any major new engagements. And so really, if you add a lot of those things up, as scary as Trump's words are and as offensive as, <laughs> as they are, the policies are, from a more conservative point of view, are either things that conservatives generally like or at least not disastrous. One thing I do want to push back on the tone of, of this interview is that there are only problems for Democrats if they don't somehow pivot to the center. There's no question that you need to appeal to voters who might not vote at all or who could vote for Trump in 2020. But you also need to appeal to your base. You need to fire up people and get people to be excited enough to vote. This could well turn out to be uh, not an election just of can you persuade moderates or independents to vote for you, but a turnout election. But honestly, I think the turnout issue is a bigger issue for Trump than, than for Democrats. I don't think the Democrats need to fire up their their core base, because those people scare most voters, you know, the people who only want to talk about abortion, only want to talk about open borders and 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 every other giveaway. Most voters don't want to go that far. I agree with you, but I don't see things solely in ideological terms. Right. I think that the result of the election may pivot on how many younger people vote. That's true. And they may not be turned off by the progressive rhetoric no, no. that is mostly coming from younger Democratic politicians. Right. They may actually like what they're saying. But they might be counterbalanced by a, by a lack of enthusiasm in older voters. But here's actually my point. I don't think Democrats need to get really extreme to fire up voters. I think virtually all Democrats are going to be fired up to go vote against Donald Trump, whoever is running. It's Trump who needs turnout. And every, he, people are always saying, well, he's true to his base. His base sticks with him. He can't get elected on his base. And and the enthusiasm of, of his his marginal supporters, his, his supporters that have some qualms about him and his character, that's where he's going to run into trouble. And if he keeps doing things like this stupid tweet the other day, telling members of the House of Representatives to go back to the countries they came from, I mean, you just can't get more offensive. And that doesn't drive away the base, but it definitely drives away the middle. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. We also do media training as well. Check us out at DaviesContent.com. And thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.